0: No pain, no gain. That was a saying that I heard a lot growing up, especially during powerlifting season. No pain, no gain. Powerlifting practice was way too early, 5.45 in the morning, but I was uh, absolutely terrified of our coach, and so I made sure I was there about 5.30 every morning. Our coach was a big man. He was, uh, man, still very dear to me this day. Uh, About 350 pounds, all muscle, of course. Um, Not an ounce of fat on him. No, it it was a good mix. But uh, 350 pounds of of sheer intimidation. Um, The funny thing about this coach is that his voice didn't necessarily match his body. And so um, he called me Biggin. Um, I wasn't the biggest on the team for whatever reason. That that was just a name he wanted to call me. But whenever he said it, he'd, he'd say, come on, Biggin. Come on biggin! and this is a this guy is an NFL defensive tackle sized human being whose voice did not quite match the way he looked and so anytime it came time for a big lift I had to get a bunch of weight up Squat, deadlift, bench press, whatever it was, I always heard, no matter where I was at, either at practice or in a powerlifting meet, come on, biggin', let's go, biggin'. And I knew I had one thing to do, and that was to move a bunch of weight. No pain, no gain. The idea was lifting big weight would bring a lot of pain, but with rest, with recovery, with so many protein shakes, with so much peanut butter, with so many chicken breasts, and with a lot of rest, that that pain would eventually lead to gain. We would get stronger because of the pain that we went through in practice. And if we rested, if we recovered enough, we would grow muscle, we would get stronger, and we'd go out to the next powerlifting meet, and we would lose again. But we would look really good doing it. I think this is exactly where we're at in this letter uh, from Peter to the Christians that are dispersed all over, and that is that... Without pain, there is no gain. And we see that today. We're kind of continuing today as a part two of where we left off last Sunday. This Sunday, 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 12. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. I believe we have a page number for you. Um, 1,040, oh, 1,014. I don't have them memorized. Don't worry. That was just lucky. No pain, no gain. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with joy, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our first point this morning, if you are taking notes. I would encourage you to do so. There's so much gold within these six scriptures. Our first point this morning there is joy in the trials. There is joy in the trials. In just verse six here, we have so much to cover. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And so there's two words that we see here. We see rejoice and we see trials. These are two words that do not go together very often. When we rejoice, it's because usually we're not going through trials. When we're going through trials, what do we do? We post about it on Facebook. We want everyone to know about it. This is when we complain. This is when we say, woe is me. Everybody look at me. Thoughts, prayers, thank you, your concern. I appreciate it. Now I can go on with the rest of my life. Trials are something that we want to broadcast, not necessarily how well we're handling them in Jesus, but how much we wish they were over. Rejoice in trials. So how in the world am I supposed to rejoice in the trials that I am going through? How in the world am I supposed to rejoice in the pain and in the suffering that I am experiencing in my life? And in this we see it's because of what we rejoice in. And what we rejoice in is where he says, in this. And so to really get the in this, that is in our salvation. All of that reaches back to verses 3 through 5 of last week. And so in your trials, rejoice. In your trials, it's going to be okay. In your trials, have hope. Not only hope, but a living hope, because you should be praising God for salvation, because the trials that you're experiencing right now are not forever. They're only for a short time. This life may seem like it is forever, but it's only for a short time. So praise God. Praise God in your trials for salvation. Praise God for being born again. Praise God for a living hope. And praise God for an inheritance that waits for you in heaven on the other side of the trial that you are going through. But it doesn't just say that. It says, though now for a little while, comma, if necessary. And so there's an idea here that trials are necessary. That the trials that we go through in life are needed. And we also see that it is for a little while. So suffering from these trials is seasonal. If you are going through a trial this morning, congratulations. It's only seasonal. Hold true to Jesus. Let God sustain you through it and you will get out of it. If you are not going through a trial this morning, it's probably because you just got out of one. And if you're not going through one, you didn't just get out of one, then prepare yourself because you're probably heading into one suffering is seasonal and we it will be in season it will be out of season but we also see that suffering is not only seasonal it is comma if necessary so why in the world would trials be necessary trials are necessary to us as believers because hard times make real faith no pain no gain we've got more of that coming up but there is purpose in the pain of trials and we see that in verses 7 through 8. So now, now we rejoice and we rejoice at what is ahead. So if you're going through a trial, don't wait to rejoice. Don't wait until the other side of the trial to rejoice. Don't wait until the end of this life when the inheritance that we are going to receive through the work of Jesus and salvation is taking place, celebrate now. Because you have been saved. Because you are being saved and because you will be saved at the last day. And then verse 6, continued, It says, you have been grieved by various trials. Various trials. Those of you that have experienced a lot of life, there is no doubt that you have experienced many forms, a variety of trials. There are more trials than there are colors in the rainbow. Trials can be caused by many things. They can be health related. They can be finance related. They can be emotion related. They can be spiritually related. They can be faith related. This morning, I want us to look at six different areas that we can go through trials in our lives. And I think this is kind of a, uh, this is something that we can kind of graduate into. So here at the beginning, This is pretty surface level. If you just started following Jesus, these are the things that you will experience when trials come your way. The longer you follow Jesus, you will experience more trials. The more that you mature in Jesus, the more you grow in your walk with him, you will experience things that are a little bit deeper down this list. And so six types of trials and sufferings for believers. The first one is discipline. And the natural consequences of sin. Revelations 3.19 says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. There are so many trials that we will go through in life that are a consequence due to sin in the world. There's so many trials that we will go through that it will be a consequence of our sin. There's so many trials that we will go through that will be a consequence of somebody else's sin. But we will go through trials because of sin without a doubt. This will happen. And some of the trials, like I said, will be on us. Some of the trials that we go through will be consequences of foolish, silly decisions that we have made that. We prioritize ourselves over the Lord. We prioritize ourselves over somebody else. And so now there is a consequence. And these trials have consequence, just like when your children make mistakes, just like when your children need to be disciplined, there needs to be a course correction. And so this is God course correcting us. This is God saying, stop doing this stop getting caught up in this pattern of sin Jesus has died on the cross for you he has set you free you are not called to manage that sin you are called to die to that sin break free from the chains from the bondage of the sin of the struggles of the addictions that you are dealing with you have been set free but because you have dealt with them because there is sin in your life now there will be consequence And so there will be course correction and sometimes that comes when God allows pain in our life. And God allows pain to get our attention just like a spanking, hey, I need you to focus up. I need you to look at me I need you to put that sin down. You do not live that life anymore, and I need you to follow Jesus. I need you to stop looking like the old version of you. I need you to start looking like Jesus. You are no longer that person. And so because of the sin in our lives, there is consequence, and that is trials. Now, once we start to deny ourselves, we see that there is self-denial and there is humility, the mark of any Christian. Mark 8:34 says, "In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and following me." Picking up your cross meant you were going to die. When we follow Jesus, we are picking up our crosses. We are saying no to any desires of the flesh anything that we once wanted for ourselves and we are saying yes, fully, wholeheartedly to Jesus. We deny ourselves and we live humble lives. We say no to us. We say yes to the glory of God. And this is hard. And if you have just started following Jesus, you are realizing how hard it is to kill the old you, to put your old ways off and start following Jesus. And what I would say to you Is by the strength of the Holy Spirit that now lives inside of you after you accept Jesus as your Savior and you said, I'm going to follow you. Lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. You can absolutely not white-knuckle this. To do that would be to live a legalistic life. Jesus didn't want us to live legalistic religious lives. He wanted us to live lives that were based on Him and in our relationship with Him. So lean on the power of the Spirit. Keep denying the old you. And as you do, I think what you will experience is this next step, which is spiritual warfare. Ephesians six eleven, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why do we put on the whole armor of God? It's because we are in a spiritual war. This is an invisible reality that is taking place all around us. And as soon as you start to deny yourself, as soon as you break free from that pattern of sin in your life and you start saying yes to the things of the Lord instead of yes to the things of the world, what is going to happen is you are going to gain the interest. You're going to gain the attention of the enemy. And he's going to say, you know what? I may not be able to defeat your God, but I can certainly come after you, Christian. I can certainly try to influence you, Christian. And so we put on the full armor of God so that we can be protected against the schemes he has set up against us to try to take us out. As we lean more into Jesus, we're going to get more of his attention. As we start peeking up out of the trenches, we are going to be put more in his crosshairs, more and more over time. He will come after you, and so be ready. Trials will come through spiritual warfare, and then trials will come through persecution, and this is being targeted by what you say and who you are. 2 Peter 2, 3, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. I think we're we're at a place as believers in this culture, in this nation, where it is getting harder and harder to stand for what you believe and there not be repercussions from it. I think there probably will be a day where you do not get a job because of the beliefs that you hold. And especially if you stick to those beliefs, I think there will be a day that you don't get the promotion because you stand by what you say you believe at your workplace. I think there will be a day, and I'm not saying this is anytime soon, but if you look at history, if you look at patterns in history around the world, this could be sooner than later I think there will be a day where, as believers, we are denied certain access to certain establishments, certain what we would hold as rights within society. Persecution has been pretty light on us as believers in this great country. But I think if I read the Bible correctly and things are only going to get worse and the heat is only going to be turned hotter against us as believers, especially if we stay true, we should only expect more. We should only expect to be more socially distanced because of the difference within us. And so I think really, if that is you, if you find yourself within this context, I think the book of First Peter is really for you. The book of First Peter is written to people who have been dispersed because of the persecution against them. Peter, last week, refer to them as exiles, refer to them as aliens. So if we are looking like exiles, that is people that don't live here, it's because we're living in a way of people that don't live here. It's because we look like aliens. We don't look like everyone else that is around here because our home is not here. Our home is just ahead. So stay firm in the faith. It's not going to be easy. Persecution is only going to get harder. And I would say if you're not being persecuted, you might need to ask yourself the question, am I staying, standing firm in the faith or am I just being a pushover when it comes to the things that I say that I believe in? There is persecution, and I would say we've experienced it very, 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 very lightly here in the States, but there is persecution elsewhere in the world. I would say this is extreme persecution. This is being tortured or being killed for what you say or who you are. In Revelation twelve eleven it says, and they conquered him by the blood of the lamb, the enemy conquered by him, the enemy conquered by the blood of the lamb. That is the blood of Jesus, the work of Jesus. And by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives, even unto death. And so Christian, you have brothers and sisters around the world that are giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. In 2022, over 260 million Christians lived in places where they experienced high extreme levels of persecution. 4,305 believers were killed because of their faith. They weren't just called out online. They weren't just socially distanced from their friends, from their family. They gave their lives because they believed in this so much. 4,305 believers went to be with the Lord. 1,847 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. And 3,150 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned due to their faith. This really kind of brings everything into focus for us. Persecution, pretty light on this side of things, but that's not the case in the rest of the world. And in the rest of the world, what is happening where persecution is extreme for Christianity? The blood of the martyr is seed. You see that the gospel is taking off faster than ever before. Twelve Christians follow Jesus, or twelve Non-Christians follow Jesus for every one person that gives their life for the Lord in China. Right now, you see the gospel is taking off. And how does it take off? The same way it always has, in persecution. And so I'm not saying that comfort is the enemy, but I'm saying that comfort is probably keeping us from discomfort. And in discomfort is when Christians really show their true colors. And so know what it is you believe and be ready to stand firm in it. And ask yourself this morning, do a little heart inspection right now. What trials am I going through? If as a believer I'm going to go through trials, what trials am I going through? And where do these trials come from? Do these trials come from the sin in my life? Do these trials come from the sin in other people's lives? Do these trials come from persecution? Do they come from God, and what is he doing in them? Am I experiencing a world that is hostile to the gospel? Am I standing up for my faith, or am I just playing a Christian chameleon? Wherever I go, I'm just changing colors to whatever the scenery is around me. When I'm at work, I'm going to talk like I'm at work. I'm going to live like I'm at work. There's going to be no difference between me and my co-workers, no difference between me and my boss, no difference between me and the people that work under me. When I go to church, I'm going to turn into a chameleon. I'm going to fool them too. I'm going to play the part. I'm going to serve in that role. Are we the same place here as we are there, there as we are here, firm in the faith? What do we do with the suffering? What do we do with the trials that we face? Point number two this morning, we embrace it. 1 Peter 1.7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What we see here is that trials happen for a reason. We are tested through the hard times in our life. There is purpose in the pain. So why is God allowing these trials in our life? Because in trials, we see what our faith is made of. In trials, God sees what our faith is made of. Is our faith real? God says, let's find out. Let's turn up the heat. How real is it? Let's find out. Let's make it a little hotter. And this is not God. Receiving pleasure from our pain. This is God testing us. This is God saying, okay, you say you believe in me. If you say you believe in me, I have a purpose in this. And my purpose is to make you more like my son. These trials will bring pressure into your life. Will you crumble or will you make it through? So will we stay true as God is examining our tested lives? Is our faith genuine? Peter, Peter compares our trials to gold. And so if gold gains value based off of how pure that it is and the purity of that gold based off, off of how hot the temperature gets when you are sifting the impurities off the top of that gold as it is being smithed, how much more important is it that our faith would do the same? See, what they would do to purify gold, they would, they would get all the ore together, they would turn up the heat. It would liquefy all the dirt, all the rocks, all the impurities within that gold. They would rise to the surface, and then they would be swept away off the surface. And then to get more to rise to the top, the temperature would go up even more. It would rise to the surface. And what I read this week, which is so, so cool, when you look at Peter saying exactly what he says here, is that smiths would know that the gold was done being purified when they could look at it and they could see their reflection. I think God is up in heaven and he is looking down at us in our trials and he is looking at impurities rise to the surface, through the pain, through the suffering that we go through and he is taking the impurities off the top. And when will he be done? Not when he looks down and he sees us, but when he looks down and he sees his own reflection. So what is the purpose Of these trials, it is so that we will be formed more into the pattern, more into the image of Jesus. And then he says, Those that remain faithful will be rewarded. Those that remain faithful through the trials will be rewarded. It says, We will receive glory, praise, and honor when Jesus is revealed. And if you're like me, when you're reading through the Bible and there's anything that seems a little bit man centered, You have to say, hold up, what's really going on here? Pump the brakes, because we have to remember this is all about Jesus. This is not about us. And so how is it that we can receive honor, we can receive glory, and it still be about Him? And the way that works is that as we are rewarded, our reward, our glory, our honor, our praise that we receive from being true in these trials— all ultimately go back to Jesus. Why are we being honored, praised, and rewarded? We are being honored, praised, and rewarded because of how we have withstood these trials and come out of the other side looking more like Jesus. And when he is revealed, all glory, all praise, all honor will be bestowed upon him. And so Jesus is saying, yes, take the praise, take the glory, take the honor. Because as soon as he is revealed, we're saying, Jesus, this is not ours. This is yours. This is not about me. This is about you. I've been through the trials. I'm only on the other side of this trial because you sustain me, God. And so now I take every ounce of honor, glory, that was given to me, and I bestow it, I throw it right back to you, God. He allows our praise, which brings him praise. So now, a little heart inspection before we continue on. What is our life all about? Is our life all about avoiding suffering, or is our life about embracing suffering? Has comfort become an idol to us? Has it been a become a goal to us, or has it become something that now we see as a burden? I think for the believer, knowing trials are coming, knowing that you could be in a trial now, or knowing that you will be going into a trial, and knowing that you, when you stay faithful, and God sustains you through it, that you will be more like Jesus to give him more praise, more honor, more glory, I think we see comfort as a burden to our walk with Jesus, not something that we need to run toward, but something that we need to be on edge against. We embrace trials because trials produce real faith. Number three, trials produce real faith. Verse 8, what does real faith do? First Peter 1.8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So what we see here is real faith loves without sight. Invisible doesn't mean unlovable. Jesus is present with us in the spiritual realm. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Jesus is not somebody that we can see physically, but even still we have hope in Jesus, knowing that he is present, knowing that he is there spiritually in every trial. Invisible also doesn't mean unavailable. Jeremiah 33.3 3 says, call on me and I will answer you. Just because we cannot see him doesn't mean that he is not around, doesn't mean that we do not have access to him. There was a period in mine and Rachel's dating relationship in early college where I lived about 45 minutes away, an hour and a half, sometimes two and a half hours, depending on traffic. We would go sometimes a week without seeing each other. And it wasn't out of sight, out of mind. It was absence makes the heart grow fonder. And so there's something inside of us as believers where we look forward to seeing Jesus in person. But we also know that he is here with us now, that he is available with us now. And he may not be here in person, but he is always just a prayer away. We can always communicate with him. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. We see that real faith, trust without sight, invisible doesn't mean untrustable. We don't have to see him physically to see the work that he is doing in us. We don't have to see him physically to see the work he's doing in other people. We don't have to see him physically to see the work that he is doing in the church and across the world. There was about two years of my life where I cleaned 54 poles a week. I only ever saw three of my customers during that that two-year period. But whenever they came home from work, they didn't question whether or not they had a pool guy. They went in their backyard and they saw a pool that had algae in it that now didn't have algae in it. They walked into their backyard and they saw a pool that was filled with leaves, now had zero leaves in it. They saw the proof that they had a pool guy without ever actually seeing the pool guy. And the same is true for us in Jesus. We look around, we see him at work, not only inside of us, but out and everyone else. And we see that real faith, real faith has so much joy that it cannot be expressed. There are no words that can express the amount of joy that we have in salvation in Jesus. Every word falls short. And the joy that we have in Jesus because of salvation doesn't depend on circumstances around us. We're talking about persecution a little while ago. I went on a mission trip to Africa when I was 19, and I met a man who had scars like Heath Ledger had in the Joker, who was cut from the corner of his mouth up into almost his earlobes. And I asked him, as a stupid 19-year-old, hey, bro, what happened to your face? And he explained to me what happened to his face was at his wedding, Him and his wife got married. They came from a Muslim family. They were the only converts to Christianity within their their family. The family tried to poison them. He felt like the Lord prompted him to this, and so they didn't do the toast, which would have killed them. And so it made the family very upset. Their goal was to take these two believers out take care of these Christians that turn their back on the family's faith. And the uncle got so upset with him that he went to the groom on the day of his wedding. He held him down and he cut his cheeks right then and there. And he said, if I ever see you again, I'll finish the job. I will kill you. When I met this man, he had not a single bad thing to say about his family. When I met this man, he wasn't cursing them. He wasn't looking down on his situation. His wife and him were struggling to make ends meet. They lived in the most poverty-stricken part of the country. But when I met this man, he was full of joy, full of so much joy. I could say, hey, bro, what happened to your face? And he didn't punch me. Joy that was inexpressible in all circumstances, in every trial. We have great joy because we have salvation. First Peter 1 Peter 1.9, attaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, these trials result in end of days salvation. Again, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And so our love and our trust in this invisible Jesus displays our faith. Our faith in Jesus brings about a real, tangible salvation. And all this to say, what is invisible will become visible close up with this, our last point this morning. This is a transitional statement from where we've gone last week, where we are this week, and where we're going next week as Jacob preaches on the next set of scripture. This is 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. Look up. Salvation is here. Look up salvation is here. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time that the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And the things that, they, that have now been announced— to you through those who preach the good news to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven which in uh, sent from heaven things into which angels long to look what peter is doing here is a refocuser a refocuser is Rachel and I we love to hike every friday we try to hike every mountain in a 20 minute radius of us we're doing pretty good but what we have noticed is you can get so caught up looking down at the rocks, at the roots, at just the path so you don't fall off the mountain and die, that sometimes you forget to look up and you forget to see the beauty that is all around you. And so what Peter is doing here is saying, look up. Realize the place and time that you are living. Look up. Jesus has come. Salvation is made available to you through his work. And so After he says, look up, after he says, refocus, we get a little behind the scenes look. He says, the prophets had predicted this. The role of the prophets were to proclaim God's word and then to predict future events. And all of their predictions were anticipating the salvation that is now available to us. Basically what the prophets were doing was taking arrows and firing it out over the horizon and watching it go across the horizon and losing it. Sending truth into the future, not knowing where it would land, all of it. Truth on salvation, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, all of them, 300 arrows from where they were into the future regarding the salvation that is available to me and to you today. The prophets predicted it, and then the preachers preached it. The apostles took the good news of Jesus to the people. In Acts 4.12, we see that Peter, before he is writing this letter, says in a sermon, And there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we take that message and we preach it every Sunday here in this church. It's preached every Sunday in churches across the world. The the prophets prophesied about it. They predicted it. The preachers preached it. And then the angels ponder upon it. Salvation is fascinating to the angels. They look into it. They study it. And then they celebrate it when we experience it. How did all this happen? The Holy Spirit showed the prophets. Christ suffered for it. Glories came from his suffering and the Holy Spirit filled believers. And those believers preach the gospel to me. Those believers preach the gospel to you. And so now we have a part to play in this. Now we, having accepted that message of the gospel, making Jesus our Lord and our Savior, receive the Holy Spirit. And we go preach that same message to everyone else. We look up because salvation is here. We look back to before salvation. We look back to when we were saved. We become present to our situation right now, realizing we are being saved. And we look forward to the day when Jesus returns. Or we go to be with him in glory. And through it all, we thank God every step of the way.